everybody welcome back to another episode of hive mind a pop culture podcast my name is erin and i am your host it has been a absolutely crazy week since i last checked in with you guys um the supreme court decided to overturn roe v wade essentially stripping people of their rights to abortions uh this is scary uh and you know today's episode Definitely talks about about um, some stuff sort of around this issue. Uh, so I just wanted to hold space for you right now, right off the top. Uh, if this is something that is a challenging issue or topic for you to talk about or hear about, I get it. I understand. And I just want you to know that like you are so supported by millions of people, regardless of what is legal or not legal. Uh, there are ways for you to be safe. People have your back and people have been organizing around this issue for decades. So please, please, please take care of yourself. Uh, do what you need to do and, and you know, find your people, right? I think that's really important. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit though on my episode today about like the pop culture response to this, uh, the ways that certain celebrities and artists have been reacting to the Supreme Court's decision um, to varying outcomes. Uh, I think that activism and music really, really go hand in hand. I was thinking about this quite a bit this week about you know the origins of some of this stuff. I think you can date protest music back to like pre- pre-revolutionary war times, right? Uh, the times of battle hymns and things like that. Of course, we all know as well that spirituals sung by enslaved people were also sort of like a form of protest music. Uh, And then there were, you know, there's been decades of this sort of thing. Uh, Little subcultures popping up here and there, uh, speaking to the times, speaking to what's going on in the world. You know, we have punk music of the late 70s, bands like The Clash and The Sex Pistols and Dead Kennedys. Punk's entire ethos was about speaking truth to power and uh, rebelling against the machine, right? Rebelling against uh, the higher ups or or whatever. Uh, we saw the same sort of thing in like the origins of hip hop, and especially within like the conscious rap world. Uh, so people like Tupac or a tribe called Quest or Public Enemy, Common, right? All of these rappers from like early '80s leading all the way up until until like late 90s these rappers were were seriously using their music as a platform to say something 
you know, sometimes it was commentary on like race relations or wars or things like that. Sometimes it was just like speaking about about um, stuff that quote unquote matters, right? Domestic violence or um, self-esteem, self-worth, the school to prison pipeline, right? All of these themes sort of, uh, you know, these themes and motifs sort of popped up in conscious rap and in punk and in all of these uh, genres that, that we are familiar with back then. Um, I think the thing is that none of these genres were necessarily mainstream. Um, you did not turn on the radio and hear punk music or conscious rap, uh, you know, and even even back way back then, it was people on the margins that were singing these type of protest songs, right? Enslaved people or people who were not doing very well in whatever current battle was going on or whatever, you know? Um, it was the outsiders. And, and that's where a lot of music tends to come from. It comes from the people on the outside or people who feel like they're not being heard in other domains. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think even subculturally, this bubble burst post 9-11. Post 9-11, everything was, was patriotic. It was activism, I guess you, you could, you could uh, argue, right? The music was a form of activism, but it was patriotic activism. Uh, and it crossed genres, and it crossed boundaries, um, and it hit extremely hard, um, especially in certain places, right? Like obviously when we talk about country music, post 9-11, artists like Toby Keith or Hank Williams Jr., Alan Jackson, all of these, these you know, middle-aged male artists had their moments with like these massive, massive songs, just talking about how like the country was grieving uh, following the attacks on the Twin Towers uh, and just sort of uh, uh, banding people together through their shared nationalism and, uh, and red, white, and blue spirit. My daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Now this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the Fourth of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. I mean, there were massive albums that were set to release, like in the weeks following 9 11 huge tours that pop stars were about to embark on, and everything was sort of put on pause. There was even a moment where songs were banned from radio, like entirely, if they critiqued, if they critiqued the country or cops or literally even mentioned death, uh, even if it had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks or if it was metaphorical and, and didn't have to do with like literal death at all. I mean, these songs were, were completely taken out of our like musical ecosystem. Um, everything was on the same wavelength. Um, obviously, 
whenever you have moments like this where everything is really homogenous, um, you get pushback. Uh, you get artists that sort of dissent the common, uh, you know, the, the common idea that a lot of people are sharing. Um, so this is where we get protest music again. And and so the post 9-11 like uh, phase only lasted a couple years or so before we had artists like Green Day putting out their American Idiot album in 2004, right? Critiquing George W. Bush's decision to invade Iraq. Uh, that was pretty successful, right? I think, And I think that that was because Green Day comes from like a punk background and they knew the proper steps to take and they were really like about that life. Um, so that, so like when they put out the song, it didn't feel like a uh, cash grab and it didn't feel like a mockery of people's feelings. And it was just offensive enough uh, for like edgy people to... Uh, hang on to it, but it wasn't so offensive that it, like, was blasphemous to the rest of the country. You know what I mean? thinking about sort of the opposite side of that coin which is the pushback that was was not successful because our country like wasn't ready for for every type of pushback at this time uh i was thinking a lot about uh the band formerly known as the dixie chicks now just called the chicks uh there was a moment in 2003 where the lead singer was on stage at like a a tour stop I believe it was in, in London or somewhere in England. She made a comment on stage to her crowd, her fans, uh, saying, you know, I do not support the invasion of Iraq. I'm ashamed to be from Texas, where George W. Bush is from. Uh, and she, she just made an offhanded comment. Uh, and this is like, this is like kind of prior, <laughs> prior to, uh, prior to like, massive use of phones and social media and stuff. I guess there was there were some beginnings of, of that sort of thing at this time, but definitely like most people in that audience did not have a phone with them uh, and definitely not camera phones either. Uh, and, and still this message somehow was able to spread all over uh, way beyond London, way beyond the UK, back over to America. And immediately the chicks were completely blackballed um, from country radio, uh, country music establishments like the CMAs, the Country Music Awards, um, just like absolutely, I mean, like they were canceled, right? I, I, I know that that word now has lost a lot of its meaning and a lot of its gravity, and we're sort of grasping for straws when we are trying to define it, but but they genuinely were canceled. Like they, you could not hear from the chicks for several years. They like went into hiding <laughs> uh, and people had extremely strong reactions to uh, the lead singer of the chicks saying this. So much so that like there was stuff being published about her that was extremely like 
scary and concerning, uh, major death threats and things like that. And some of the artists that were putting out those like super popular patriotic songs, uh, like Toby Keith, I think Toby Keith was is the main example of this, he started going after the chicks, right? And it became a very like us versus them mentality in country music and in music overall, because country had such a chokehold on the pop zeitgeist at the moment, um, just because country speaks to, you know, experiences of patriotism and like the Americana. Um, it's interesting because, you know, while the chicks sort of, went into hiding, quote unquote, for a little bit. They did come back in 2006, three years later, with a song that I think really like holds up to this day. Uh, it's called Not Ready to Make Nice. It was it was sort of a hit. I think it peaked at like three or four on the Billboard Hot 100. So it's up there. Um, I don't know how well history remembers it, but it was something that impacted me as a kid. I remember you know, I, I I was young, right? When 9-11 happened, I was only like four. <laughs> um, so I don't remember too much about the initial response to it, like, you know, like in a firsthand way. But I do remember 2006, Not Ready to Make Nice, because I think this is when I, it, 2006 was a really formative year for me as like a pop music fan, because I think it's when I really first started plugging in. And I remember watching like, uh, TRL and like the VH1 video countdowns and stuff like that. And this video was compelling to me as a child because uh, these three women in the, the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, um, they, they were making a really, really bold statement here. Um, and the statement is essentially like, I can say what I feel, my opinions are valid regardless of who I am, regardless of if I'm a woman, if I am young, if I am a celebrity, a musician, uh, you know, maybe I'm not the most educated person in the world. I still can use my common sense to form an opinion about what is happening in our country. And I'm allowed to say something if I feel uncomfortable with what's going on and, and what is apparently supposed to be representing me in my government and, and that sort of thing. I've paid a price and I'll keep paying because it was like, wow, like if these women can say something and speak out, then then I should be able to do that too. And obviously when you're a little kid, it's like on a small scale, but that stuff sort of like wiggles its way into your brain and, and roots there. And I think that that, like seeing that video and hearing that song and, and really liking that song as a kid, it, it, it did something to me, right? I think that, that was like a major first encounter I had with what activism looks like and sounds like. Because uh, Not Ready to Make Nice doesn't even like, it's not like a, uh, it's not calling for a fight or for a war 
it's 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 just calling for expression and calling for dissent uh and and i appreciated that because it was it was very firm in its beliefs but it 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 you know didn't uh, detract from the actual issue at hand right at the end of the day the invasion of iraq was the the major thing that we should be paying attention to or that we should have been paying attention to in that moment not like petty drama between the chicks and fellow country star toby keith you know uh so i loved that it, it stayed rooted on the issue and and how bizarre it was that people felt like just because the chicks were who they were that they weren't able to comment on the state of the world so i mean that's interesting right i think that things are like so fucking different now uh and and I was trying to think of the exact time when things sort of took a pivot. Obviously, like leading up to Trump's election in 2016, we saw a lot of celebrities speaking in different ways about politics and war and, you know, these big lofty issues, racism, things like that. Um, But now we're almost in like an era that is parodying itself. Uh, and, and let me give you some examples and we'll come back to maybe what my overall thesis is here. Uh, so Roe v. Wade got overturned last week, uh, just the, the, the very day before, uh, the British festival Glastonbury, which is like a Coachella sort of thing that occurs over there. Huge, massive performances outside on like a giant stage. Everyone dresses up. It's sweaty. It's crazy you know it's it's high energy you got big headliners pop artists rap artists rock bands sort of across you know every genre the coolest people right a couple people at glastonbury made comments about roe v way being overturned uh and made explicitly pro-choice comments and uh comments disagreeing with the Supreme Court's decision. Interesting, number one, because this festival takes place in England. uh, So people in England aren't like directly affected by American politics. But I think people now know, you know, that because of the internet and because of like the globalization of our conversations around politics, uh, you know, what's happening in one country definitely splinters off you know, and affects other countries as well. So mobilizing over there, it's almost like a a tactic, right? Uh, Because you have a little bit of safety, you're in a little bit of a bubble where you are a little bit removed from people who are directly impacted by the situation. But it's not like what you say in England won't reach America, you know, like it's immediately there because of Twitter, you know. So the first person I noticed saying something was Olivia Rodrigo, um, 19 year old, one album out, hugely famous, but still really getting her footing as a pop culture figure and a celebrity in general. I'm going to take a super, super quick aside right here, just to mention that on one of my episodes in 2020, I predicted that Olivia Rodrigo would be famous someday. If you don't believe me, go back and look. The episode is called 2020 Favorites, and I'm talking about celebrities I think are going to pop off. This is pre-driver's license. Like, I was on her so early. I'm patting myself on the back right here. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, 
back to the serious topic. Um, yeah, so Olivia Rodrigo, she was on stage, did her whole set playing songs off her album Sour, which, you know, they're mostly love songs or songs about teen angst, breakup songs, things like that. She announces a special guest and the UK pop singer Lily Allen is who walks out. Kind of a, a random collaboration. Olivia has, has done a couple of these. She had Avril Lavigne come out at one of the stops on her Sour Tour. Um, she has done a magazine cover with Alanis Morissette. Um, you know, just, I think she's really interested in like the passing of the baton. Um, you know, obviously we all know like she has a close relationship with Taylor Swift, uh, who is like mentoring her in a lot of ways. Um, you know, even like after she won her Grammy, she like hosted this uh, giant like Grammys after party DJed by Paris Hilton. And, you know, she was like up there on stage uh, singing Paris's forgotten gem classic song, Stars Are Blind. <laughs> um, I, I just think she's she's very interested in what comes before her and she's fine with paying her debts to it. Um, so Lily Allen, yeah, I mean, I guess if we're talking about a British crowd, Lily Allen is somebody who is tangential to Olivia being like a singer-songwriter um, who, you know, exploded on the scene in her late teens. Lily Allen, like, I don't know, she hasn't had that many hits. I would say her biggest hit is the song Fuck You, which is what Olivia, you know, ended up performing with her. Um, I believe Fuck You was was uh, put out toward the end of the Bush presidency uh, and it was a comment to him. So, you know, Olivia is repurposing it by, you know, singing it with, with Lily Allen. She's repurposing it for like a new generation or a new circumstance. Um, but yeah, the, the two... The two perform the song, uh, and it wasn't random. Olivia introduced the song by being like, equally as heartbroken um, over what happened in America yesterday. Um, the Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, um, which is a law that ensures a woman's right to a safe abortion and other basic human rights. <laughs> and I'm, um, I'm devastated and terrified and so many women and so many girls are going to die because of this. And um, I wanted to dedicate this next song to the five members of the Supreme Court who have showed us that at the end of the day, they truly don't give a shit about freedom. Uh, this song goes out to the justices, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Conan Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. We hate you. Giant smile on her face, dancing around stage, middle fingers up in the air, teens in the audience losing their goddamn minds. Um, you know, it, it was immediately met with, with positivity on Twitter and on socials. Like, wow, like this is a young girl who has a lot to lose. Um, she is very, very much just starting out, regardless of how popping she is. Like she she hasn't even released a sophomore album yet. 
And we know how sophomore albums hit young female performers, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, she's putting it all on the line by um, speaking out, or at least it seems that way if we're sort of like looking at the old guard way of doing things, right? By uh, making protest music, you are automatically putting yourself in the margins or you're putting yourself in sort of a, as being at opposition with, with the establishment or with the quote unquote machine. We saw what happened to the Dixie Chicks. You know, will that same sort of thing happen to Olivia? But it, like, it won't though nowadays uh, because it's different. It, it, something, something fundamental has changed, right? Because Olivia makes these comments and, and makes a bold statement in a public venue. Everyone sees it and pretty much across the board, everyone has embraced her. I'm sure if you really like look deep, uh, and, and find yourself in like some conservative moms groups on Facebook or something like that. I'm sure there are some some parents who are like, I will no longer let my children listen to Olivia Rodrigo, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but this is not, it, it, those people are not mobilizing on a grand enough scale that it's gonna do anything to her career. Olivia is probably being played double on radio over the past couple of days because of the virality of this performance and this incident. Um, her followers have probably gone up on social media for better or for worse. You know, this is, is, has given her tons of power at her hands and, and money and fame and that sort of thing. Uh, Olivia is not necessarily new to, to stuff like this, to these actions of really performative activism on stage. Um, back like a year ago, Right, there was that that incident at Travis Scott's festival Astral World, where people got like trampled to death because the crowd was out of control, uh, and he did not stop his concert and did not, you know, uh, take care of his fans in any way. He just sort of let it happen and kept rolling. Literally, ever since that incident occurred, there has been videos that have come. Sorry, there have been videos that have come out almost every weekend of Olivia Rodrigo stopping her concert dates on her Sour Tour and being like, hang on, hang on, stop uh, stop the music, guys, stop the music. I think I see somebody fainting in row six. Can we just make sure they have some water? Can we make sure they're okay? Like, like every single week, <laughs> without a doubt, there have been these videos. Um, and at first I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's really sweet. And eventually, you know, I was thinking like, is she stopping on purpose every single show to make a comment like this? It almost seems planned. It almost seems like something that her and her team said, you know, we got to get ahead of this. Because I remember in the couple of days following Astroworld, I want to say it was Billie Eilish stopped a concert uh, and everybody gave her so much love for doing that, right? And it's almost like Olivia's people were like, okay, we got we to gotta make sure that like, you make this move every single time and and show your fans every single night that you care about them and whatever. It's extremely performative, regardless of whether or not Olivia actually sees somebody fainting or struggling or looking sick in the audience. Um, you know, she doesn't have to say it, right? There can be ushers or bodyguards or somebody uh, making room for the crowd. It, it, it definitely does not require a mid-song pause every night at like the climax of her big hit. It's, it's wild that she does this. Uh, so 
knowing that, that she has been doing that, the stuff at Glastonbury Festival didn't necessarily surprise me. Uh, another artist who said something at the festival was Lord, uh, who is one of my favorite artists as well, um, kind of randomly said like, fuck the Supreme Court or something as an offhanded comment. This sort of uh, move was not big enough to make a splash or make an impact. It went pretty virtually under the radar. Uh, it didn't bring her heat, like it would have brought heat to the chicks back in the day. Uh, but it also didn't bring her fanfare like Olivia received for having such a massive in-your-face, uh, almost annoyingly over-the-top moment. Another person who said something who's no stranger to talking about issues uh, was Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick, I believe, was the headliner at Glastonbury, um, so had a huge set and was performing some songs from his new record that dropped uh, pretty recently, which is called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Is that what it's called? <laughs> uh, something like that. It has a long title. Um, he was performing some songs. He was doing a song called Savior, uh, where he is kind of talking about uh, fans' relationship with celebrities and how they idolize them and make them godlike. Which, you know, it's also something Lord has explored. It's something Kanye has obviously explored. Completely unaffiliated and unrelated with Roe v. Wade and what's going on with abortion. Um, but he, he threw in some lyric at the end where he was saying, Godspeed for women's rights. Godspeed for women's rights. And then he started, like, bleeding fake blood all over his costume. Uh, it was kind of weird quasi-religious imagery uh, where you're not 100% sure what he's trying to say, but your ears still perk up because we are like sort of conditioned to view, you know, the combination of like a, a religious looking costume and, and blood as, as being polarizing. But it just was, it was like, it was like a bunch of puzzle pieces for something good, not fitting together in the correct way, <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't know, it had kind of weird, um, it had a strange response. I saw a lot of people just having like a gut reaction that they should be upset by it, um, but also not really sure why. <laughs> um, and then a lot of like actual activists were talking about how Kendrick has kind of become a caricature of a conscious rapper um, and he's like a palatable conscious rapper for people that don't really want to engage with issues, but just sort of like want to make a big stink about them. Um, so funny enough, even though Kendrick in the past has been hailed for his protest songs, like pretty much everything on the record to Pimp a Butterfly or like the song All Right or, you know, whatever. I mean, he, he didn't really get that hoopla this time around. In fact, he got, he got kind of, he got the, the, the eye roll from the internet this time. Uh, I even saw a tweet from Halsey last night or the night before. She's not at Glastonbury, but she's touring. Uh, and apparently she said something about the decision to overturn, overturn Roe v. Wade prior to her song Nightmare. Um, I love the song Nightmare. Oh, you! 
that I'm a hell of a night. That I'm no sweet dream, but I'm a hell of a night. <laughs> you know, I really am not a Halsey fan. Like, I find her tone a little bit annoying. No offense. Uh, I just, I don't love it. It's a little bit grating to me. But the, the song Nightmare is very, very cool. Uh, and it does sort of play with punk theatrics. So I'm not surprised that she made it into like a Roe v. Wade song <laughs> uh, last night. But she tweeted something about how like people walked out after like a whole bunch of people left the concert. And I don't know how true that actually is. Like I can't imagine that you'd be going to a Halsey show expecting something ridiculously conservative. That's literally not her vibe at all. And I would never expect that from her. Uh, but I think that she was kind of, she was uh, feeding off of this bad girl cred that she was receiving for saying something, right? Um, it sort of made me think about how there has been like a girl bossification of protest music in the last couple of years. It sort of allows pop stars to have their moment of rebellion without going down like the sex and drugs route. Um, so Halsey doing this, or especially someone young and who hasn't necessarily had a scandal yet, like Olivia Rodrigo, it's a scandal that nowadays is safe um, and is, is more about like being powerful and being a bad bitch than being like truly bad. Uh, you know, and even people I, I've, people I love have done this. Ariana has done this so many times. I remember there was one there was one performance she did at like a pride event that was um, prior to same-sex marriage being legalized nationwide. She was like, she was like, sing this song with me if you think the Supreme Court should get their heads out of their asses and join the goddamn celebration. And like the whole audience erupted in cheers and she, you could tell she just thought she was the coolest person on the entire earth. Like, it's it's very girl boss, <laughs> um, but we see we see this a lot now. Uh, so it's been interesting, uh, I think, to, to see how people have been speaking out about this moment and and just sort of like how how the concept of protest music has altered with the times. There has been some other re recent examples of people trying to combine music and activism, and. It working and it not. Uh, I thought a lot about the Justin Bieber album Justice that came out about two years ago. This album flew way too under the radar, in my opinion. I am so surprised Twitter didn't have a field day with this one. It is bonkers. He literally like, it's a normal Justin Bieber album. Like half the songs are about Haley Baldwin and like how she's like so beautiful and cool and such a good wife and that sort of thing. Uh, half the songs are about growing up, you know, uh, in the spotlight and all the pressure he faces and that sort of thing. So uh, across the board, classic themes for a Justin Bieber album, nothing controversial in the slightest. He bookends this album, I'm dead ass, bookends this album, with Martin Luther King Jr. speeches. It is so weird. Like he, I'm not even kidding. He, he puts like a, a full five minute clip of an MLK Jr. speech in between two songs that have absolutely nothing to do with 
race relations or nonviolence or like literally anything that MLK stood for or talked about. It's so weird. And even the title, calling it justice, it's it's so weird. And and we know that he's just like trying to cash in on maybe what I was saying a second ago, right? The fact that this kind of thing, it's an easy way to have like bad girl, bad boy cred without doing too much. Uh, but I mean, it, it, he, he's totally co-opting the idea of being an activist, just throwing those you know, clips of MLK Jr. on his record using that title. It's like, it's almost like wearing a disguise, right? <laughs> or like, it's like stolen valor, right? It's like as it's like as if I uh, put on a army uniform and walked around my town and got like salutes and thank you for your service, <laughs> like just for wearing it, even though I didn't do anything, right? I mean, it's, it's truly insane. Um, Another like major misstep that I remember recently was uh, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic when all those celebrities like actresses and actors made that video of themselves singing John Lennon's Imagine. Easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Yeah. Imagine there's no countries It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people. This one, you know, Twitter did have a field day with this one. Uh, it was so out of touch. And it was like one of those moments where you're like, who approved this? Like, who whose idea was it? And the fact that it went through so many celebrities, PR teams. And I mean, it's it's truly wild because these celebrities were sitting in their like multi-million dollar mansions, not having to work, worry about like losing their jobs and feeding their families and not having to worry about being essential workers. Like there was absolutely no stress on these people. And they were like the ones making this video and acting like their lives were so, so, so hard because they had to be quarantined for a couple weeks and like not be on a movie set. I mean, it was it was essentially like when Kendall Jenner did that Pepsi ad a couple years ago where the premise of the ad was like, she walked out and there was like a Black Lives Matter protest and the protester protesters were colliding with the cops and she like went and offered a can of Pepsi to the protesters and the cops and then everyone got along. <laughs> like, oh my God, that went through numerous people. Numerous people decided that was a good idea. We, we do not, we let, we let her get off that one easy, I think. That's, that's insane. Um, but yeah, there's been moments like this, right? It's performance activism to a T. I was I was wondering how I should feel about something that happened a couple nights ago at the BET Awards um, that sort of falls under this umbrella. So if you've been following the, the news around the BET Awards, what happened was Lil Nas X, who had a pretty big year uh, and was awarded at the Grammys and the VMAs and the AMAs and the 
BBMAs and like all the different shows, uh, he got no nominations at the BET Awards, nothing. Uh, he felt he was snubbed, and a lot of people were specifically mentioning the fact that Jack Harlow, who has collaborated with Lil Nas X on the song Industry Baby, um, Jack Harlow got nominated <laughs> and was invited and uh, even had a performance lined up. Jack Harlow is white. It's the BET Awards, Black Entertainment Television. Some Lil Nas X fans felt like it was unfair and and like, like how could Jack Harlow get a nomination but Lil Nas not? Um, and so the, the, whatever, the awards eventually rolled around. Uh, they were the other night. Jack Harlow shows up on the, the red carpet wearing a Lil Nas X merchandise t-shirt and then um, he's already got like a bunch of brownie points from people online for doing that. Even Lil Nas X himself is tweeting like, I love this man, like don't hate on Jack Harlow, he's great, blah, blah, blah. Then he addresses a second controversy in the same night when later on in his performance, he decides to feature the late 90s R&B singer Brandy, um, like calls her out as a special guest. Uh, about a month ago, Jack Harlow was on the the morning show Ebro in the Morning, which is like a hot 97 morning show. Uh, and he, he mentioned something like about not knowing who Brandy was uh, and not being able to, to recognize her voice and only knowing her as Ray J's sister or something like that. And, and people online were like super mad and, and saying like, how can you make music, you know, in black, historically black genres? but not even know some of the greats uh, that we've produced. Um, and so he, he did the corrective thing, right? At the BET Awards where he brought Brandy out uh, and let her have her moment and, and put some shine on her. Uh, and so it was kind of like, I don't know, I, I was looking at this moment and, and technically he, he took all the right steps, but is some of what Jack Harlow is doing, is some of it performative in the way that like Olivia's trying to be or Halsey's trying to be? Uh, or are these genuinely apologetic actions where he's trying to like correct missteps that he made or that the industry made on behalf of him or whatever? Um, Jack Harlow seems like a good guy, but I, I definitely think that all of these these moves are so, so, so calculated. I remember like this really stood out to me when I was watching the... Um, the Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana. Uh, there's a moment in that documentary when she is sitting with her team and her team consists of like all middle-aged men. Uh, and they're talking about, or she she's asking them, can I make a post on my social media where I critique this woman who's running for Senate in Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn. Um, she's like very, you know, anti a lot of things I support. And Taylor's whole team is like telling her she shouldn't do it and she's going to alienate a bunch of her fans by like speaking out against a really prominent Republican in, in Tennessee where a lot of her fan base is from. Um, and, and she really has to like push and, and there's so many people like having a say in the way that this message is going to come out. And, and when it finally does, it's been like crafted and run through by a lot of people like it's calculated and of course like Taylor's initial feeling is genuine right that she does not support this person in the Senate race but there's been like a lot of 
hoops that the message has jumped through before it has reached the ears of fans or the screens of fans. I think numerous things are true at once. One, artists have a right to say stuff. I was gonna say very few, very few people debate that, but you know, still sometimes you see it in like artist comments, like, can't you just be, why can't musicians just be musicians? Can't you just sing? Or, you know, even with like other entertainers, like athletes, we saw this with like Colin Kaepernick and stuff, like, you know, just play football. Like you don't need to get all political. Don't get all political. Um, but yeah, I mean, artists have a right to say stuff and, and some would argue that artists have a responsibility to say stuff. They should use their platform. Olivia Rodrigo's audience is all young girls, right? It's the future of America. People that are just coming into voting age. People who will vote for the very first time in the next election or people maybe maybe kind of uh, apart from voting, people that will take to the streets for the first time and protest something for the first time. Maybe this is the first like political issue that feels like it's it's hitting them in a unique and personal way. That's her fan base. Uh, some would argue that like if she didn't say anything at Glastonbury and just went up and performed songs from Sour and made it all about herself and this album and her breakup and blah, blah, blah. Like that would be, uh, that would be controversial now because we've almost like turned a corner, you know, for her to not say anything. I don't know. But, I, you know, and I think there's also the other thing that's true is that sometimes certain artists should sit cer certain things out, you know, like, yeah, Olivia should say something or Halsey or whatever should say something, but... Are they saying the right thing? Can they amplify another voice instead? Because you could argue that Olivia going up on stage at Glastonbury and singing Fuck You with Lily Allen does absolutely nothing, right? Because it, it doesn't, right? And it's, it's not really exposing any like truths about people or the government. It's just being dissentful for the sake of being dissentful. Um, I don't know. Is making noise important or, you know, is it important to create in times like this or, or should we sometimes just like find people that are already doing the work and plug ourselves in? Because Olivia going up and singing Fuck You at Glastonbury could end up being very much like the Celebrity Imagine video during COVID. It can feel out of touch because honestly, Olivia, if, if she were to get pregnant, she could find a way um, to deal with it discreetly and privately and with the grace and, and you know, sensitivity that young women deserve uh, because of her status and her fame and the fact that she mostly lives in New York and California. Like, there are definitely people that are w much, much more vulnerable than Olivia. Uh, and they weren't even in that audience because it was a, a British audience. So, I mean, it's it's extremely complicated in so many ways. And you know, I, I want to give her 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 praise and her flowers for doing that because I think it's a, it's a little bit ballsy for a young person to do. But I don't know, like, is it distracting? Is it is it taking away from like actual grassroots movements that could like tangibly help people in trigger states that are going to immediately lose their right to choose like within the next couple of days or have already? 
I would love to hear what you think about the celebrity response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade and just performance activism and, and protest music in general throughout history. This is a, a super important topic that we can continue looking at for, for a while. Um, check me out on Instagram at HiveMindPopCulture and on Twitter at HiveMindThePod. I would love, love, love to hear from you. So uh, plug in, join the community, uh, and, and let's talk. All right, thank you so much. I will leave you with a little bit more of Not Ready to Make Nice because that song goes crazy. Bye. Lay my bed and I sleep like a baby with no regrets and I don't mind saying